This is about humans dreaming together. About humans supporting each other on our journeys. It's about the science and the art behind making our dream lives a reality. To the students of life. The young and the curious. The dreamers and the doers. To those who crave to be a strong individual. And want to be part of something bigger than themselves. Welcome. 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 Welcome to the Dreamology Podcast. Hello, my fellow dream chasers, entrepreneurs, hustlers, and people out there who are on a mission to be the best version of themselves. This is your host, Tim Bishop. Welcome back to the Dreamology Podcast. On this show, as you know, if you are a repeat listener, we are here studying the science and the art behind making our dream lives a reality. The world is a more complex place than it has ever been, and these are strange times. And you know what I've learned through my short life is that the societal lessons that we are being taught and what we're learning in school is not quite getting it done for teaching people how to live in this modern world and truly how to make the modern American dream a reality. And so that's why we're here. That's what we're up to. We're trying to help as many people as possible navigate this this crazy, crazy world. And today we have an amazing guest who is going to help us do that, Jay Abbasi. Jay is a former employee of Tesla and Solar City, where he ran training programs across the nation. And now he is actually a mindfulness coach that creates training programs with the goal of ending human suffering. He spent a lot of time in the corporate world and he saw the amount of stress and grief and just burnout that people experience on a day-to-day basis. And he wanted to be a part of the solution for the future of humanity and happiness and well-being and living a content and fulfilled life. And so on this episode, Jay shares with us his personal story, which we really started about six, seven years ago when his father passed away. And that's what started Jay's personal development journey. It's what led him to finding mindfulness. And it's what led him to then starting his own business and now becoming an influencer in the mindfulness world. We also talk a lot about just common things that people struggle with, um, the four natural tendencies, which are four things that we all share and that we all go through on a day-to-day basis, which is one of my favorite things that we talked about on this interview, and a whole lot more. And so if you love this interview, I would love to hear from you. What are your, what are your favorite parts? Take some notes, write some things down, and share it on your social media or message me or whatever you got to do. But definitely pay, pay close attention. Jay shares some goal with us here, and I'm really excited to introduce him to you right now. So without further ado, here is Jay Abbasi. All right, fellow dream chasers out in the world. Today, we have Jay Abbasi joining us. Very grateful for him coming on, sharing his story, and uh, talking about a lot of great things from mindfulness to career evolution to just uh, the journey of life. And so, Jay, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing really well, Tim. Thanks so much for, for having me on. And uh, yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm excited to be on with you. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I feel like before we dive in, I want to just get a, a rundown of how have you been the last couple of months? I mean, this has been a crazy time. And uh, I feel like before we, before we dive in anymore, I got to get a good, a good feel for where you've been at and how this whole situation from COVID to, you know, racial inequalities, all this stuff being talked about. I mean, it's been a pretty insane couple of months here. And so how have, how have you been through it all? Yeah, I appreciate you asking. 
it's been quite a journey for all of us to experience this. So prior to COVID hitting, I had this intention to rebrand and do some different things career-wise. And then when I'm in New Jersey, so I'm not far from New York City, right at mm-hmm. the center of all of the madness for COVID when you know it was at the epicenter of New York City. And so in March, when all this started to happen, and towards the end of March, I actually got infected. My girlfriend got infected, my mother, my, uh, many of my inner circle. Blessed to say we all made it out okay, but it was a three or four week experience of dealing with the infection itself and, and being sick. Mm-hmm. And I know many people have experienced it. Some unfortunately didn't have the same luck that I did to be able to say I'm, I got out of it okay. But I would say that was a, a practice of mindfulness that I hadn't yet experienced to be able mm-hmm. to manage through something that's scary and when your family's all going through it. So that was a, an experience in itself. Uh, happy, of course, to share if you're interested. And so I've been, in terms of business-wise, been just really buckling down and trying to prepare for a, a launch of a, a, new, a new brand, which I already have and to some extent I'm still working on. And otherwise, just maintaining my practice and staying grounded and really focusing on all, all the things I have rather than all the things I don't have. I think mm. for many of us, this, that's, that's the path that we went down with everything we've experienced over the last few months. Yeah. I think that last line is really powerful because that's been a big lesson for a lot of us, right? What do we have? What have we been missing? What are new things we're learning through all this, right? And not to say that that's always the easy thing to do, but when you look at it from the big lens, that's been, I feel like everyone, I feel like that I've talked to has had their own takeaway, their own version of, well, that, this happened to me and this happened to me. And some people's families actually, you know, got sick and people died. And so everyone's had their own, you know, experience. And so I think what you just said up there at the end was really powerful, which is, yeah, what, what do I got? What, what have I, what can I take away from all this experience? Yeah, that's the right approach. And, and mm. I think sometimes these, these situations force us to think like that, you know, it mm. depends, I guess, how, how the person responds. Some people really crumble and uh, they go into states of depression and that's very sad and that's very unfortunate. And some people see it as an opportunity. I think anything that's a hardship, that's the opportunity for growth. No mm. one learns or grows from pleasurable experiences. That has happened zero times Mm. in human history where Mm. someone really grew and developed something brand new in them. And it was when they were, you know, just enjoying something pleasurable. Right. Mm. So it's the hard stuff that really makes us grow. Right. I mean, when, when we zoom out and we look at our lives and you'll hear this from many people, you know, from all uh, scales of success or whatever you want to call success to be or whatever it means to you we'll all say the same things. It was those moments of hardship where I learned something, where I grew, right? Mm. So I think uh, a, year, you know, a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, many of us are going to look back and say, that's where it happened. That's where I changed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, touching on that, I know in your personal life, uh, I want to say five, six, you know, five to six years ago, you had a very big hardship in your life which was your father passing away. And I read a bit about your story, you know, before this interview, and it was kind of a tough time for you, right? Your father passed away. You mentioned you were in some debt. Your relationship was a little bit on edge. Career was okay, but maybe not doing what you loved. And so I want to get a snapshot into that time period for you, because it sounds like based off of what I know from the social media version of your story is that that was 
the biggest hardship you've had in your life. And it really set off this journey of mindfulness and self-observation that you've been going on for the last five to six years. So can you, can you give us a sneak peek as to what that experience was like for you and what you learned through all of that craziness? Yeah. Happy to Tim. So it was 2014 and I remember I got the call it was 6 a.m. And it was my mother on the phone. I never heard my mother sounding like this. And she told me my dad had a heart attack. And my dad wasn't sick. He wasn't, you know, going to doctors. And there wasn't any real challenges that we knew of. And by the time I got to the hospital, he had already passed away. And so nothing really prepares mm. you for that. You know, if anyone who's lost a parent, you know that it's nothing you really prepare for. And like I was saying a moment ago, I mean, it's all about how you respond to it. So at the time, I had... You know, I still, of course, have two older sisters, but I'm just painting the picture. Uh, my two older sisters, my two-year-old daughter, I was married at the time. And of course, my mother needed support. And so as the only man of the family, right, I had to stay strong and, and show that, you know, to be the rock for everyone, I guess. And so while I did that, there were still some challenges I was, I was personally going through, the grief itself and managing through all that. And I just started seeking, seeking mm -hmm ways to improve, seeking, how do I get through this? And then the other thing, Tim, that of course occurs to me and occurs to many of us in our lives is we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring us. We really don't. My dad was mm. 55, had dreams to grow at his company, had dreams to see his grandchildren grow older, and just like that, passed away. So with all that on my mind, I sought out different ways to de develop myself personally, read everything I could, you know, personal development. And it led me to mindfulness. And while I, you know, initially you think mindfulness, oh, this is just to manage through the grief and the emotions. It's done, it, it did much more than just that. Mm. It changed my life completely from the personal aspect of it, of how I manage through these challenging times, as well as professionally, where I changed careers. I was working at a finance company and while I was doing okay, I, I wasn't loving what I did. My marriage wasn't great either. So on the personal side, it, it opened my eyes to a few things. But I, I took risks that I never would have taken. I joined this company named Solar City, which then was acquired by Tesla. And within four years, I worked my way up from being a salesperson to running a national training program. And I attribute that success due to the skill that you mentioned a moment ago, which is self-observation. And that is the ability to look at oneself objectively to mm. see how I'm thinking, how I'm feeling. And from there, I can actually make changes to the way in which I'm handling certain situations. I think without that skill, it's very challenging to really change and see different results. And I think I've, I've developed it over time and it's led to a great deal of success. And for me personally, to be able to manage through difficult times much differently than how I used to. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm right there with you. I think my self-observation journey started about 18 months ago now. And I was, uh, it was my first time ever. I mean, I grew up, I mean, I have a great family, great childhood, great school, you know, everything seemed to be good, very optimistic mindset. And I had the same thing where the first time in my life I experienced, and not the first time, but enough pain that motivated me to say, I need to start seeking some answers here. I need to start looking. And I feel like what's cool about mindfulness and what I got off of your experience too is you're seeking within. You know, it's not, you're not seeking as in like this, okay, I need to get this, this, and this. For me, it's like, okay, 
what is my purpose and how do I think and how do I feel and what makes me feel these kinds of ways and why and and how is this really and it's it's all self analyzing right and I think that that's so powerful and it's something that people who have started that journey I mean it's almost gets an obsession a bit I mean for me too it's it's almost like this I don't know you're, you're starting to really see yourself honestly and some of those takeaways I've had have been pretty crazy. So I'm curious, you know, right away, because again, I feel like people hear the word mindfulness and they're, uh, it, it's a broad word, right? Or meditation, yeah. it's a broad word, like working out. It's a very, it's a very big, a big word. And so how, yeah. how was it that you stumbled upon that as kind of one of the big lenses? And what were the, the few things that you specifically got attracted to within, within this practice? Sure. So. As I mentioned before, it was personal development that kind of opened my eyes to mindfulness and meditation. Mm. And so in reading about these great leaders who all seem to do very similar things, like incredibly successful, fulfilled, you know, content human beings mm. who are teachers that really impressed me and inspired me, you hear about some of the things that they do regularly. And they mention how they take time every day to sit quietly and do a practice that would fall under the umbrella of mindfulness. And oftentimes we call it meditation, right? Where we're sitting and we're observing ourselves and we do this consistently every single day. And so that's how I found it. And, you know, there were different reasons why everyone says they do it. Some say it's to manage their stress, to be happier, to be more productive, to be more focused. And, you know, I've read from all different walks of life, everyone had these different benefits, but there are all these incredible benefits. Mm. But I would say, Tim, the, the real difference, and this is how it is for, I think, most people, the real attraction becomes when you experience it. Because mm. we could talk about it till we're blue in the face, right? We can explain mm. the concept and the ideas and the benefits that come with it and all the problems it solves. But until you actually experience it, these are just words. These are just conventions. So I'd say that it really comes down to trying it and experiencing it. Now, here's, mm. what's, silly, what, here's what's funny about it is that we've all experienced it. We just don't label it that. Like you were just talking about the word itself mm. can be quite vague, right? Working out and think like as an example or exercise. The thing is with mindfulness, it's simply just being present in the moment that you're in, focusing on the present moment and doing so without judgment, right? And we've all experienced that. Mm -hmm. You've experienced that when you saw that beautiful sunrise over the mountain. You experienced that when your child was born. You experienced that when you were in a flow state doing something where it was natural for you, a sport or some sort of hobby, where you were there. You were mm. in that moment. You were present. You were, you, were, you were treating it objectively, right? That is mindfulness. So mm. that experience, if you can recognize that and then see, oh, that's what we're talking about when someone says mindfulness. And wouldn't you want to experience more of that? Mm -hmm. And everyone would say yes. <laughs> right. Everyone would say, yeah, of course. And because yeah. again, we have those, yeah, you have those big moments that you clearly remember. You're just so there for and you're, it just, it, it, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's bliss in a sense, right? Some of those moments you're just, even if it's not like a very, very positive experience, if you're just there for it, it, it is amazing. And so what, so in your initial journey, when you said you can just sit with yourself, I'm just curious to, to listeners can, and myself understand, you know, for you, was it a combination of, you know, just sitting with yourself for 10 minutes a day and journaling or, you know, what, what did it practically look like for you? 
um, when you started to get into it. And now even today, I'm curious what it looks like for you in your day-to-day life um, when you think about you think about mindfulness as being a big chunk of your existence. What does that look like for you? Yeah, yeah, happy to share. So it's it's evolved over time. Mm-hmm. And I never was the type personally to get too much into guided meditations, although I did do them at the very beginning to help me get started. Mm-hmm. So I would find, you know, different guided meditations that would walk you through how to go through your typical breathing meditation. And for those who've practiced, they know what I'm talking about. Observing the breath with just acceptance without any judgment. You're just observing your breath flow in and out. And I also found practices that included uh, counting to be very helpful Mm -hmm. at the very beginning. And I still use them when my mind is very distracted. So what I mean by that is sitting quietly, alert posture, hands on palm, right? Uh, Hands on lap. you're simply counting every inhale and exhale. So an inhale would be, and then exhale would be one, two, right? And just keep going. And, and then that mm. gives you another object of focus besides the breath. The number gives it, gives it a little bit more weight, right? Mm-hmm. So I found that to be very helpful early on. And today, Tim, it, it, it's a varied practice. I don't prescribe to one practice and say, that's how you meditate. Because everyone's different. I think that'd be silly to try to box everybody in and say, this is the one way to meditate. Right. So what, what I do is I do a variation in my practice. So it includes breathing meditation. It includes mantra meditation where I'll repeat words uh, silently. And there are nothing, it's nothing crazy or some sort of sounds or chants. It's simply a word that resonates with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that can vary. Sometimes it's here, now, observe release, which is a very common one. People say mm-hmm. release quite a mm-hmm. bit when they, when they practice. That's a very helpful one because it helps to release the emotions and the thoughts because your brain correlates that when it hears the word release or senses it. And uh, I also just do open monitoring where I'm just observing my surroundings, how I feel, whatever arises. Mm-hmm. I'm just monitoring it. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a sound, the air, whatever it is. I'm just there with it. Mm-hmm. So it's a combination of that along with some visualization that I tend to do on a regular basis. And uh, uh, that practice is normally 30 to 45 mm-hmm. minutes for me every morning. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it, it, obviously it seems like you're getting into the, the depths of it. And I like to make the workout analogy or the comparison because I feel like in my own life too, I've realized, you know, when you first, like you said, you, sometimes you have to experience things, right? You first go to the gym And you don't know if you need more muscle or if you need more flexibility or if you need, you know, more better cardio, like you're just going to the gym, you're showing up, right? Right. And the more you get into your, you know, physical health journey, it's like, okay, you know, I'm, my legs aren't flexible enough or I want to build muscle here or I can't run long enough here. So I need And you start to really figure out those different things. And I feel like for me, and it sounds like for you too, that's been a part of my mindfulness journey is, you know, I learn about a gratitude practice and I start to do that. And then I learn about, oh, here's this, I like, I know the release Mm -hmm. mantra technique that Brendan Richard always teaches. And here's that. And here's this analytical meditation and here's all this. And, and I actually just wrapped up an eight week mindfulness course. And at the end, we were getting to the point where it was like, hey, sometimes Sometimes it's actually hard to just sit 
and feel your emotions. So you try to create an emotion like loving kindness or gratitude yeah. or whatever. But sometimes it's good to just sit and observe. And so you can start to get to a point where you can know what you actually need in that moment, which again, I understand these concepts and these are what I'm working on now, but I think it's really cool that evolution of, again, you hear meditation or you hear working out right away when you're first trying it. And it just sounds like this one thing, but you yeah. really get into the depths of the depths of the mind and the depths of the experience and how, what's going to be best for you in that moment to carry on or to bring the most love and energy and joy and productivity to that moment. So I think that's really cool. And I think it's also cool being that you're a coach that you prescribe it that way too, because I feel like from my experience, that makes sense to me. Yeah. It's, it's a great analogy and I've used it too, Tim, where the exercise analogy really does help paint the picture because you also have to think of it like this. No one goes to the gym the first time and tries to do, you know, 300 pounds on the bench the first time. Right. And that's sometimes right. what we do. We set these crazy goals with meditation. I'm going to sit there for 45 minutes and I'm thought's not going to enter my mind, you know, <laughs> and that just is counterintuitive to the actual practice. The right. idea of the right. practice is to have an intention and then you have the intention and you go in with it. So the other, so what I would say is you go to the gym, you might go for the first time for this 10, 15 minutes, right? You wouldn't go for that one and a half uh, hour and a half, two hours. You're going to, hurt your body. I'd say the mm. same thing goes with this practice. So if you're starting out, give yourself two, three, five minutes at most, right? Just try it. James mm. Clear talks about it in Atomic Habits. And I always refer to that, which is don't try to go too far with it. You know, just do one minute of breathing meditation or two minutes to start. And then mm. you build yourself up just like you would at the gym. And then also having that flexibility to where you want to find the right workout, the way you were kind of describing the right, right. practice for you have that openness when you practice as well. Mm. And now the one thing to, to call out too is, you know, I think there's oftentimes a difference between what is a mindful practice where you are observing with acceptance and overanalyzing. And so we want to also be careful that we're mm. not analyzing too much because being, I call it taking inventory. Taking inventory is a good thing. What I mean by that is I observe I look, I understand what I'm thinking, my thoughts, my beliefs, my concepts. What are the things that might be holding me back? I can just take inventory, right? Now, if I'm overanalyzing it on the other side, why am I feeling this way? Why do I keep thinking like this? What's wrong with me, mm. right? That's the other side of it. So when you hear people say, I'm too self-aware, I hear that all the time. I, I find <laughs> them to be under that over overanalyst type. And that actually harms you more than it helps you. And it's not, that to me is not, mindful practice. That's mm. self-absorption. So we want to avoid that. So that I think is, um, there's some intention there and there's some effort that needs to be done to recognize the difference. And that is something that happens, I think, with experience. Hmm. That's really powerful. I've never heard anybody describe it the way you just did. But yeah, I mean, it's like observing your thoughts, taking inventory, but not, I've heard that, what's that? Uh, there's a Buddhist like analogy of like the double-edged arrow or the double, you're hitting yourself twice in the back. I, I don't yeah, know. What... So, so it's, if you, you know, you get hit, hit by an arrow, that's the situation, the pain, the emotion that first arises. Don't put a second arrow in yourself to cause psychological self suffering by constantly judging. The situation. Right. Yeah. That's what, yeah. that's what that made me think of. Cause it's, it, there is a fine line there of, of being like, okay, cause you have to get vulnerable with yourself. Right. And say, okay, this is something about myself that I would want to change. And then you have to accept that and move forward with the change. And it's, 
yeah, that next part is don't beat yourself up or, or become that self-obsessed kind of person. Because again, that's, that isn't going to then be helpful. That's not going to get us towards where we want to go. And so how do you just curious, how do you recommend to balance that? Or if you even notice that happening, like what is some things you've told people to do if they're struggling with that kind of back and forth? If, if it's a real problem where there's a lot of self judgment, you mentioned earlier, the loving kindness practice that helps tremendously in creating compassion for oneself. Mm. Uh, so that's a practice that one can do regularly if they're really mm. struggling with it. The other thing I tell people all the time, there's two things that you just made me think of. One, <laughs> uh, one makes me laugh. That's why I'm starting to smile. Uh, so I created, uh, I went on this retreat once and I heard the teacher say something like, imagine that the mind, your mind, your thoughts, whatever, are like someone you love dearly someone or, or even like a baby like how a mother would treat a baby is how you'd want to treat your own mind so i took it a step further and i created this idea in my head that the my mind when it gets distracted when it's judging me when it's mad at me whatever it is is jack jack from the incredibles have you ever seen <laughs> okay and yeah. the reason the reason i chose him was because he's a baby with superpowers like he can light you on fire he can shoot laser beams out of his eyes right but he's a baby you know, he doesn't know any better. He, he's just acting the way he's acting. So yeah. I think about Jack-Jack in my head and I realize that that's all that's happening, that Jack-Jack is crying and screaming and yelling. And when I see my, my own mind that way, it creates this kind of endearment, like, oh, it's just, it's just Jack-Jack acting crazy, you know? And, and then the other thing I always tell people is when you go and you practice um, meditation, think, label your mind something. And, and for example, you call it your best friend, you know? Like your, this is your best friend, the mind, your mm. thoughts, your emotions is your best friend. How would you treat your best friend? Hopefully well, otherwise you have a problem with relationships and that's a different issue entirely, right? <laughs> but you would always treat your best right. friend with kindness, with you'd right. be forgiving. That's how you should treat yourself. You shouldn't treat yourself worse than how you would treat your best friend, right? You should treat yourself better than how you would treat your best friend. So mm. whenever your mind and when you're practicing, if it's going off, like gently bring your mind back to the focus attention of whatever that is, the word release or your breathing, whatever it is. And almost in a way kind of label it like, okay, best friend, like come back to me, you know, <laughs> in a nice gentle way. And the more you do that kind of practice, the more compassion that you can feel for yourself. I, I love that by the way. That is, that is amazing that, I mean, it's a good idea, but then the fact that you label it at Jack-Jack, I mean, that's... <laughs> you got to be playful, man. Like, I think the yeah. one thing about mindfulness that sometimes I see is that people take it too seriously. Like, it doesn't have to be, you know? It, it mm. can be playful. We can have fun. We can be creative. Mm. And, uh, you know, because I think sometimes with introspection and emotions and feelings, people get really stiff. But yeah. we can loosen yeah. up and enjoy it, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, that's another balancing act and... I mean, I always, when you think, when I say something like that, I always think of, I've seen this mindfulness, uh, I think it was called The Mind Explained on Netflix. And uh, there's this monk and he's just, the way he says it can't help but have the same reaction of like, this is just, it's just, it's playful. Cause he's like, he'll say something like, you know, oh, I was feeling anger. And I'll just say, oh, hello, anger. How are you doing today? And he just was like, I was like, this man is just so playful about it. And it's, uh, it's almost like, again, it's that idea of detaching from it a bit and, and making it its own little character, its own little thing, because it, it, it creates you from self-loathing and again, feeling like, oh, this is me. Like I'm the bad person. I'm the negative one. I'm the, it's just like, no, it's just Jack, Jack. 
You're just, right. <laughs> it's just yeah, the mind. He's just firing out light laser beams through his eyes, you know? And uh, it, it really is what you just said. It's detaching. You know, there's, <clears throat> when we hold this, you know, attachment to the emotion so deeply, that's what creates all that extra distress and that unnecessary mm. suffering, right? There's, mm. And usually it is a judgment, you know, it's, it's, it's a judgment that we have about the feeling. So, it, you know, the, another thing that really helped me once I heard is imagine that any thought or any feeling is equating to nature. What I mean by that is, you know, a seed is planted in the ground and the tree will grow, right? That's just nature, right? That's just natural. The same thing that is happening in you, right? When the thought arises, it's just a natural thing. You know, it's just natural when you feel a certain way. And if you look at it like that, it's just nature being nature. You realize like, why am I getting so upset over nature being itself, right? Mm. Because and we could dive deeper into this, but, you know, to me, it's very much just our own programming. It's our own conditioning. It's mm. trauma that occurred when we were young. It's our genetics. It's what society has taught us, what we learned in school. All that has been programmed in us. Mm. And when we become more aware and more mindful, we start to just see that programming. And yeah. many times people fall down to like, I hate this. They wouldn't call it this, but this is how I see it. I hate this program and how it's running. Like, I don't want this program to run anymore. But when you just look at it like, oh, that's the program. Okay, I see the program. What ends up happening mm. is over time, if you continuously are able to look at that program and understand it, you'll be able to override it, mm. right? And then if you override it many, many times, you start to then establish new programs in the mind. Mm. What are, do you think, those main things that do program us? I know we all humans have programming from way, even way back from our ancestors and how just the brain works, but sure. you know, what do you think are some of those main things that, that program us and maybe things that we don't really realize, common misconceptions you've seen about uh, how people view themselves based off their programming. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I highlight this a lot in my course. I, I call it the four natural programs. And the four natural programs, uh, I'll go through each one quickly. The first one is negative bias. And mm -hmm. negative bias is that we always see the wrong in things. We always see the bad. We always do. And the example I use quite a bit is, you know, you post something on social media, you get... 50 comments that are positive and one negative one, which is the one you're going to remember. Mm. You're always going to notice that negative one. Mm -hmm. It's like a Yelp review, right? You go through Yelp reviews and you see everyone's giving it a five-star rating. Someone gives it a one-star rating and says the food is terrible at this restaurant. You're now like focusing on that one, right? Yeah. And it's just the way our minds work. It's just how we're programmed. And it, as you said, from ancestors time, our ancestors, if we had two people where one was, had a negative bias program, the other one didn't, the person with the negative bias program who always was under feeling threatened, right? Tiger's going to come get me. That's the one that survived versus the mm -hmm. one that didn't. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's programmed within us. And then I think our culture only just makes that worse and worse. Right. Mm. Um, the second one is need for acceptance. And that one's a big one. And our society really, really um, makes that grow with things like social media and the way we compare ourselves to one another. And there's always this fear of rejection. And that's really tribal ancestors time, things like that, that has made us this way. Um, and then the other two, uh, I'd say never enough is another program I call, I call it never enough. And that is we are always seeking more. We're never satisfied. We're always out to get something else. And when we are like that, and happiness is never something we experience now, it's always something in the future. We are constantly discontent. We are never, never happy. Because when we even experience that thing that we wanted, we have pleasure for a little while, but then it's on to the next thing, right? 
Uh, and then the last one is, uh, I call it nothing more important than me. And that's just my, uh, a, a norm, uh, a, in, I guess language that we would use today is basically talking about the self right. and that we create this self that this person, this personality that we hold on to so deeply that deserves respect and deserves to be treated a certain way. And if it isn't, then we get really frustrated by it. But ultimately, Tim, what we're talking about mm. here is suffering that occurs because we are judging things. We are attached to results. We have expectations and we are trying to control things that we can't control. Those mm. are the four things that lead to our own suffering. And they, those programs I just mentioned all have those traits. Mm. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's awesome. Those are very powerful because I feel like you're right. I, those are never enough negativity. I mean, these are like just things that you're like, yep, yeah, everyone, everyone has felt these. Everyone goes through this. Uh, this, I think I heard about that concept you said too from Gretchen Rubin, which is happiness is a, a destination in the future. Happiness will exist someday once this happens or once we go through this. And so, man, I think that that's super, um, Man, those, that's just really powerful. I'm almost just still trying to sit with what you just said because I feel like those are, those are things that everyone um, struggles with. And so I'm curious, you know, you think about somebody who has lofty goals himself. And I feel like this is a question that I will get a lot back at me because I've talked about mindset and mindfulness. And, you know, for entrepreneurs or, or business people or people who just in general, whatever category, whether it's professional, personal goals, have big goals for themselves. Um, how do you balance that? You know, what is the, what is the balance of being detached from the outcomes and feeling happiness now, but also striving to do something more and to build more and to be more and to grow more? Um, you know, what is that maybe just in your own life, what are some things you do to keep that balance and keep that, uh, ability to hold both of those truths together? Yeah. Great question. I think there's a myth, Tim, that, being mindful, practicing meditation, all that means that you're not driven. And I actually think it's completely the opposite hmm. because I think when you are mindful, you have this ability to focus much more on the present moment, right? And block out distraction. You have this ability to manage through any situation and respond rather than react. So I think that when you have a strong mindfulness mental state, I guess, you know, you're, you are operating from a place of self-observation and you're doing it with compassion. You tap more into the why behind what you're doing rather than the result. So yes, we have something we're looking to accomplish. I, I call it an aspiration, right? I aspire to something, but I don't necessarily need to cling to the results because I realize that that's only going to bring me dissatisfaction. If I'm telling myself I'm only going to be happy if I get that, then I'm currently not happy. And then when I get it, I'm going to be afraid that I'm going to lose it, you know, and that's mm, in itself yeah. not a great situation. Yeah. So instead, I operate from my own why, my own purpose, what I'm looking to contribute, right? The com my own compassion for others and how I wish to serve. And that's my driving force. Mm -hmm. So if, and so it's, in other words, it's like, I don't let my driving force, my motivation be something that's outside of me which would be the desired object. Mm -hmm. I let it be fueled. So it's what's fueling my actions. My, my actions are being fueled from within me. And then if mm -hmm. I have that constantly fueling me, then what I do every day is still getting me closer to whatever it is that I have set for myself as a goal or an aspiration, 
And I'm just not doing it with the suffering attached to it. I'm doing it from a place of, of passion still and a place of, um, a, a, of a want to contribute to the world mm. without the attachment to the result. So I find that for me, I have, by the way, this is a practice. This is not something that I, you just snap your fingers and you're good. You know, yeah, I yeah. still have that, that those egoic tendencies. I still have that attachment. Yeah. I notice it in myself all the time. Mm-hmm. The difference is I can now let go of it a little easier than how it mm-hmm. used to be. You mm-hmm. know, I could do something now and say, okay, I put it out to, there to the world. I would like to see this result, right? But I realize that there are so many things that are outside of my control. And therefore I let go of that. And instead I know that the best thing I can do is focus on the task at hand, be observant of what I'm doing now. And I think that that's one thing. And then the other thing that's also important, I'd say, is reflect back a little bit, you know, realize how far you've gone Hmm. and realize that, and this could be through journaling, whatever it is, visualization, you know, or some sort of grateful um, gratitude exercise to realize that you've gone this far already. And that in itself can be celebrated. You can appreciate what you've done to this point as a way to set the right mindset to continue forward. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy you brought up that the fact that this isn't, I think that's a misconception too, that this isn't perfect. It's not pure enlightenment, pure bliss, like 24 seven, you're walking around just this balloon, this bubble, and you're just, you know, things are fantastic. You know, just I think floating, floating yeah, around. Just floating. Right. I mean, because again, you're, you're still living in a world where things happen and things go wrong and you still have those four tendencies and, you know, you have all this stuff. And sure. And I think that, yeah, I think about my own experiences, my own, you know, my own journey. And it's, it's true, you know, and it's, it's like with anything. I mean, any part of your life, no matter how intentional or this or that or you are about it, things, things still happen. And your mind is a crazy beast. Like it is its own, you know, it's its own freaking giant. It's its own Jack Jack. And so- right. I think that I'm really happy you brought that up because I think that that's an important part of it is that it's not like you're not going to have these thoughts, but you know, maybe you have better tools to respond to them or maybe you start to cultivate a little bit better thoughts and then that leads to something else. And so I'm, I'm just happy that you brought that up and I'm curious if you could just share, you know, what's one, what's one thing that you still struggle with, you know, in, in that journey of your own uh, life, you know, what's one thing that, that still goes through your head a lot. Um, and you know, how does mindfulness play into that and just kind of help you try to quiet that thing? Yeah. Uh, great question. There's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot, man. I would say the need for acceptance is something I've struggled with my whole life where I seek validation from others. And I have definitely loosened that grip that I've had on, you know, like me, you know, say great things about me, mm. feeling so good when someone compliments me. Because I realize, man, like I think it, understanding is so important. Understanding and insight, really like really getting it, really helps me in the moment. Because I understand that I'm actually not serving others the best way I can when I am doing things just because they will praise me. Or I'm doing mm. things just so they don't reject me. I still struggle with it a lot. I mean, something as simple and something I do every day almost is I post on LinkedIn and every day I feel it. I notice it. When I hit that post button, mm. I notice myself, are they going to, people are going to like this? You know, are they going to, are they going to celebrate this? Or are they, am I going to, 
maybe this isn't a good post. I don't know. Like I noticed all this happening, right? Hmm. And it's a practice for me now. I see it as now as, as an opportunity to let go. And hmm. so I struggle with this one a lot because it's so, I think, ingrained from my conditioning from, a ch- from childhood with, you know, my mother and all that, like getting her validation, feeling so afraid that she wouldn't accept me, right? Like it's just nothing she did wrong. It's just my own childhood. So that's my personal struggle. And I'd say my way around it, like I said, I'll just to wrap this up, I guess, is mm. to say that understanding is so important. Understand why that program runs within you. Understand when it's happening. See it when it's happening. Mm. And also understand what best serves you. So those questions that one can ask oneself, such as, how is this serving me? Mm. Like that's a, that's a great question I ask myself all the time. How, am I, how is this serving me? Really then shifts my mindset a bit and makes mm. me realize, okay, just hoping that someone's going to like this. And then even if they did, none of that serves me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, uh, for sharing that. I definitely resonate too. I think the world of social media can be a, a place where uh, if you're craving acceptance, it can be a dangerous place to be. It's a drug. Um, because, and your, your point was great. When you're acting out of a place where you want the acceptance more than you want to give or to help or to, um, you know, just spread something beautiful into the world, it's not even going to be as good because your, your intentions are, are, are off. And it's, that's a hard thing because acceptance, again, it's, it's something we all want. Um, but I'm happy that uh, you shared that because I think that that's going to resonate with a lot of people. Um, sure. And so one of my other questions here is kind of like, you know, I think that when you make a, a health-based choice that it can have some compounding effects. And I know that you credit mindfulness uh, to have a lot of compounding effects in your life. And so outside of just, you know, your mindfulness practice, how have you seen other areas or practices of your life or career grow and evolve? And how did that lead you to then now having your whole business and your experience be about teaching mindfulness and, you know, resilience and mindset to businesses and to individuals. I mean, I'm just, I'm curious on that evolution. Yeah. Yeah. So let me think, I'd say the practice of mindfulness and and self-observation, I I credit to much of my success at Tesla, for example. And when I look at my journey at Tesla, I started in sales, but I think because I was able to recognize my own strengths and my areas of opportunity, I was able to, well, yeah, recognizing my strength helped me to realize, okay, here's what I'm really, really good at, right? And not only was it from feedback of others, but my own observation. So it then led me to realize, okay, I can actually be really effective in a training role. And this is what I'm really good at. This is also what I'm really passionate about. It's what I love. Mm -hmm. So I then looked for opportunities to showcase training amongst the training organization within Tesla. Mm -hmm. And it led to me meeting the right people, you know, to an interview. And then I joined the training organization and then I worked my way up through the training organization. So that then led, so funny how I say it, it's, now that I'm thinking about it, <laughs> one thing led to another to another. And then this led to me understanding how to make effective learning programs, mm. taking things that are really complex and making them simple by using analogy, storytelling, visuals that help things to be remembered in the adult mind because our Mm. minds are so distracted. We're running all over the place, right? Mm. So how can I teach someone a new lesson, something that's going to really give value to them and and 
be retained in a very short amount of time. So that was something I picked up at Tesla. And then when I left Tesla and I developed my own business, I've taken all those skills with me. Mm -hmm. And so that's the kind of chain of events that has led me to now be able to offer online training programs on the topic of mindfulness to where I've taken how to take complex ideas, make them simple, use engaging and entertaining ways to relay the information. Mm. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the a journey, I guess. Yeah. That I haven't really puzzled together the way <laughs> you, just, you just did now. Hey, yeah. this, is, this is cool, man. It's a learning experience for both of us. Then, right. right? Um, that's awesome, man. And so, you know, do you think the passion comes from a combination of your own experience? And then now you just see, again, the world when it comes to engagement, mental health, job satisfaction, like, you know, are these a lot of the things that are driving you because you just see it as a big need in the world? Yeah, I think there's work that I did personally through a lot of journaling to understand what I, to cultivate, very specific with that word, to cultivate my own purpose. Mm -hmm. I don't think, that is my own personal belief. I don't think purpose is something that's outside you know, and you got to find it in the cloud and bring it in, you know, or something. I think it's something that gets cultivated within us, right? It's not like you're finding your purpose, you're cultivating it. You choose it. Mm. Man search for meaning. Viktor Frankl talks about that a little bit. And so if you, if you cultivate it, which I did, you then bring that out to the world. And so I cultivated my purpose and that is to relieve human suffering. That's ultimately what I want to do. I want people to suffer less because I worked at Tesla and I observed burnout. I observed people who were just really unhappy, not because of the work. They loved the work. They loved the mission. They loved what they were doing, but they were struggling with the situation, with the constant change, with the fast pace. They were struggling with it. And I saw it every day and it broke my heart. And I wanted to give. I wanted to, when I left Tesla, it took me a while to get to where I am now to piece it all together. But I realized that that's the best thing I can give to the world is how do you manage through difficult situations at work or even outside of work to where you could still be content. Cause what's the point of life if we're living every day with this hope that things are going to get better in the future and then we die and then we never enjoyed it. Like mm -hmm. it's crazy when we zoom out and we think about it like that, right? Mm -hmm. Why can't we be content right now? Why not? So mm -hmm. I want to give that to the world and I want to take everything I've developed in terms of my skills and my ability to take um, to develop, to deliver world-class training programs and really focus on this one topic. Cause I think it would serve the most people. Hmm. Man. I love that dude. Abs I mean, I know again, your work, your work has indirectly touched me, man. I mean, I've followed you on LinkedIn and I've seen some of your posts. And so I think that, man, you're on your way to serving this mission. And I know that it's gonna, it's gonna keep growing. I feel like as you keep doing this work and and I think just the mindfulness, uh, you know, and mental health industry as a whole, um, I'm hoping that my generation and your generation continues to grow this because it's, uh, it's something that I think the world and a lot of everybody, individuals need. Um, so thank you for the work you're doing in the world, man. I think it's, I think it's awesome. And I, I'm, I'm inspired, man. I'm inspired for sure. So I really appreciate that. And so now when you think about going forward, you know, what is, what does it look like your dream business and the dream impact? You know, I, I know that we're trying to be content with where we are, but I'm also curious as to some of the big visions you got in your head. Um, being someone who likes to think about the big picture and what that looks like. Yeah. I appreciate you saying <laughs> that, man. I, I think, you know, I want to continue operating from the place of how can I serve? 
throughout this whole time. So I'm really open to whatever comes mm. my way. Some, some things that I am looking to do in the next few months is really deliver this online training program for anyone who has interest in developing a mindfulness practice, understanding the problem with stress and distraction that we all go through, and then how to solve it, you know, and how to bring it to your day to day. I mean, that's going to be an online program. So, and it's going to be quite affordable that, that I'm really focusing on now, but over the long run, I mean, where do I see it going? I really don't know too much. I mean, mm. I, I'm going to let the wave take me wherever it takes me. I would love to be able to continue bringing mindfulness to the every the average person. And if that means doing so through a book, mm. that's great. If it means doing so through speaking events, wonderful. If it means developing more online programs and an online community, then I'll take that route. Mm. I, I, I'm very much attempting to practice what I preach, which is not to set these crazy goals and say, here's my five-year plan and here's exactly how it's going to go. Because <laughs> anytime you do that, you're starting to, here's, I just put out this intention, man. The intention that I have is to serve the world, to take everything that I have in terms of my unique skills and talents and help to reduce human suffering, to help awaken people help give them the tools so they can look at themselves objectively and be more fulfilled in their lives. Whatever form that comes in, I'm open to. Hmm. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, final question before I have the kind of closing here is, you know, outside of this career and, you know, the podcast is kind of about making dreams a reality. You know, what, what else do you think are the variables in your own life for what you would call kind of your, your dream life outside of your career and your business? I mean, this might sound a little, a life without judgment would be a wonderful life to live. Mm. Imagine that. Imagine that from the moment you woke up to the moment you went to sleep, you went to sleep, you did not judge anything. That sounds a little weird, right? But think about what I'm saying. If mm. you had no judgment of your own thought, where you just observed it, no judgment of the situation. And I don't mean you don't, take action to fix a situation that's different, right? You can mm. still observe and assess and then decide, mm. but there's no judgment there. There's no filter that it goes through to where you say it's right or wrong. You, you just see it for what it is. And then you then take action to be able to adjust to the situation. Like for example, you mentioned, you know, the, the racism that we've been seeing and, you know, the, uh, the whole, uh, you know, the rallies and things like that. For those who, who operate from a place of judgment, a lot of harm gets done, right? There's a lot of injustice in the world due to that judgment. So I think if everyone lived without judgment, we'd live in an amazing world. So mm -hmm. a dream life to me, and I, I know that's not maybe the way mm -hmm. most people might answer that question, but a dream life to me would be one where I had removed all judgment and I was accepting of all things. Mm. Fantastic answer. Fantastic answer. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think again, going back to why I'm doing this, um, I think there's misconceptions about what a lot of people's dream life look like based off of what things have been told to them and how things work out. And man, I think, uh, I think not having judgment of your experiences and being able to still, like you said, take action where action is needed. I mean, that, 
I, I, there's no way that doesn't lead to you living a better existence and to probably, like you said, serving the world better and all these great things. So, right. That's man. the other part. Great point. How, how well can you serve the world if you did not judge? Yeah. What's that Ram Das quote? Just love everything. He's like, it's, it's too much work to not, it's too much work to have all this judgment and hate and uh, negative emotion. It's, it's, it's too much. He's like, don't, you're, you're wasting all your time. You're wasting all your energy. And it's just resistance. That resistance yeah. is an energy and it's a waste of energy. And yeah. we resist so much. We resist everything that doesn't fit into the concept of the world that we created for ourselves. Yeah. So re- remove judgment, you remove the resistance and yeah, life's, life's a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Well, closing question, man. I just, um, you know, I'm 23 years old. A lot of my listeners are, are just starting this journey of life. And, you know, what's just, what was, what would be one thing you would tell your 23 year old self as he was starting his, uh, his journey of life? And uh, what would be one thing that you would say, one piece of advice? I would say go within more often. Go within. Mm. Don't look outside nearly as much. Don't focus all of your attention on all the things out there. If I was 23 again and I could tell myself one thing, it would be, yeah, focus, bring, bring the spotlight out from that was out, bring it in and start to look hmm. and start to understand and get, gain insight. If I did that 10 years earlier, I think my life would be very, very different. So that would be the piece of advice I would give you or anyone in your, in your age group. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, if people want to find your work and what you're doing, where should I send them to website and uh, LinkedIn page? Are those the two main sources? Uh, people can go to? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's jayabasi.me and LinkedIn, jayabasi. You'll find me. It's the, the mindfulness guy. <laughs> you'll, see, you'll see it in the headline. <laughs> and uh, th- those are the two best ways to meet, reach me. Well, everyone, I hope that you enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed having the conversation with Jay Abbasi. He shared a lot of gems. Uh, You know, one of my personal favorites was the fact that he named his brain Jack-Jack. You know, I think it's really powerful, right? I mean, we all have that voice, right? Tells us we're not enough, uh, that wants to be accepted, that that thinks about me, 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 Um, you know, that tells us all these different things. And our brains are wired for survival, right? The, The human brain is not designed for this modern world. And so to befriend your brain and to say it's okay and almost talk to it like you're talking to a friend, like Jay said, it's such a powerful thing, right? It might sound kind of crazy, but to talk to yourself, but creating that character that you can kind of detach from and, and understand that, look, this is okay. This isn't me. This is just something going on in my world. Uh, it's really powerful. So that was one of my favorite parts about the interview. And obviously Jay's call to action for all of us is to go within, right? There's been so many brilliant minds in the world, way, way, way smarter than me that have said the same thing. You're never going to find things from the external validation. Jim Carrey, I was watching a Jim Carrey video last night. He said, I wish everyone can become rich and famous and achieve all their dreams so they can understand that that will never be the answer to happiness. And so you have to go within, you have to really understand what you want and what it is that is gonna make you happy uniquely, you, nobody else, but what's gonna make you happy. And so to go within, you can do things like mindfulness practice, like journaling for 10 minutes a day, reflecting on your experiences. You know, I think that self-awareness comes from self-reflection. And so in order to build self-awareness 
and to go within. You have to start reflecting on your human experience. And as Jay said, not in a judgmental or self-obsessive kind of way, but just in an observing, observing kind of way. And then you can go on and make action in your life. And so I'm really happy that you listened to this, the listeners that made it through, because I think this is really powerful lessons for me and you and all of us to take home is that we go within, we find the answers that we want, and we keep pushing forward and making change in our life and in the world around us. And so with that being said, everyone, I hope you have a beautiful day. I hope that amidst all this craziness, you're able to find a moment of peace and joy and satisfaction. And I hope that you go out there and make your dream life a reality. This is Tim Bishop on the Dreamology Podcast, and I will see you next time.